0: you travel all over the place to give these conversations and the right. little stick that we do about you being a <laughs> security guard in a ticket booth in the parking lot isn't quite accurate
1: no no but it would be fun well different kind of fun i'd give me more time to think uh, yeah instead that's of right being- this is
0: crazy Hey there, if you've joined the podcast today, my name is Chris Jarvis. I work with companies on employee giving and volunteering programs. And my name's Jake McIsaac. I spend a lot of time thinking about public safety and restorative justice. So we are having conversations here that we've been having for 20 years.
1: Yeah, the only difference now is we press record and share it with you. Thanks for joining us. On today's episode, I tell
0: Chris about the day I heard my own thoughts. And we explore how do we respond to disaster when it's always unexpected? Is there anything that we can do to make ourselves a bit more resilient? Let's dig in.
1: I have had a whirlwind September. Okay. It's been full of, as, as we've talked about before, working on the university campus, it's it's really vibrant, it's kind of fun, lots of people coming back, but it, it sets up some of the most awkward uh annual training sessions workshops that i have to do and i don't love them because it's pretty heavy like this is like going in talking about emergency procedures how to stay safe and one of those workshops that i deliver is on active aggressor active shooter training.
0: okay so who who, are you doing this for your own security team or who do you do do this
1: across across the campus across all the various faculties staff groups student groups um, you know, it talks about how to, how to survive an active shooter. Like nobody wants to turn their minds to that. So yeah. it's no, like, I, the you know, when you, you can, you can pick any workshop to go to Yeah, and this it's like crickets yeah. sometimes.
0: I, so it's not no a one conversation. No. And uh, no. honestly, and in Canada, I, I mean, it's happened, but it doesn't seem like I, if I, if I was Canadian, and I am, I would think <laughs> it feels a little American. And secondly, why is the guy who punched my ticket in the parking lot t- giving this instruction? <laughs> Was the regular guy sick?
1: Yeah, the yeah, the 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 real guy. The real, the real guy. guy who knows all about this stuff. He's sick. So they called me in and, and uh <laughs> I um uh, I tips. get to, I I all get right. to, It's like one of those. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I can do that. <laughs> um so <laughs> to, you know, uh having done a lot of thinking about this over the last number of years whether yeah. that's uh, been Doing some training and workshops through Homeland Security. Actually, much of it has been um, U.S. based, so you're you're not wrong. Okay, uh, going to um, the NYPD training sessions, and a lot of folks that have had these uh, mass casualties, mm-hmm. um, they tend to after it's all done really be a hot spot for training sessions. So lots of people go there and start to figure out what would you do? Okay. And how would you respond? And, yeah. and it's just about scaling after you learn the principles. So yeah. anyway, I go out, I do this session. I've been doing these for much of the te- last 10 years. I try to find the balance between, I usually say this, it's heavy topic anyway. No one ever wants to think about the worst possible day at school or at work. And so I try to find the balance between sobering and terrifying. Okay. Because,
0: Well, that's, you, it. that's a fun spectrum.
1: like Right. Well, it, it, it's certainly not going to be enjoyable. Right. But, you know, yeah. it's like the dentist. So one of my colleagues who's a mental health social worker said mm-hmm. after one of these sessions, I have got the book for you and suggested that I read uh, a great book called Unthinkable. It's by, by Amanda. The yeah. Unthinkable. Who survives when disaster strikes and why? And it's by a reporter named uh, Amanda Ripley. It's about 10 years old. I'd never heard of this book. It was a reporter's take, having interviewed a number of folks who've survived survived catastrophes from uh, terrorist attacks, mm-hmm. uh, active shooters, natural disasters. One that they actually um, look at is the Halifax explosion. Cool. Um, so they look at a range of these natural disasters uh, or, or emergencies and say, when you had a lot of death, you know, had some people survive, what would it look like to interview the survivors and say, what helped you get out? What were you thinking at the time? What, were okay. you, what was going
0: on for you? And so you're talking about the immediate m- aftermath, like not, sorry. It's almost the during the crisis. It's not like mm-hmm. we're all out you're and right. we're trying to process what happens. You're talking about the hurricane hit and now like the seconds after the hurricane leaves is that the moment where survival you're talking about. Survival. Yeah.
1: Survival in the moment is, I don't know if I'm going to make it out of here. Right. It is that. It is is what can you do when you're not sure you're going to make it, but what increases the likelihood of your survival?
0: So it's not the aftermath. It's not processing. It's actually making it through. Making it through. Okay.
1: And what was fascinating was, and I think what my colleague Hazel was trying to encourage me uh, with these heavy, uh, is that, hey, keep going out here. Keep doing these presentations, no matter how many people show up for them, because the, the 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 premise of this book suggests if you turn your mind to it ahead of time and you've thought about it, there's this mentalizing moment. You might be more prepared when it happens. Mm-hmm. And so there's one amazing story in this about uh, a person named um, Elia Sedeño. And uh, uh, she survived. She was working in the World Trade Center in 1993 when a bomb went off and she survived. And it was terrifying. She tells that story. And then eight years later on 9-11, when there's a second explosion, there's this moment that she describes as, oh, I've been here before. The second explosion felt very different than the first one, because as, as this book sort of weaves in and out, this, this whole, I've been there before brings in a bit of calm. She's thought about it. She's escaped it one time. It was a harrowing escape in 1993, but in 2001, there's this, I've been in this building. I know when it's been smoke filled. I know how to get out Mm -hmm. the stairs. Mm -hmm. Um, we learned lots of lessons in 1993. In fact, they've upgraded the exit lighting. They put generators in. They did a whole bunch of things after 1993 to increase the likelihood of survival. But what did she have? She she had this normalcy bias. Her mm-hmm. brain kicked in to say, "We mm-hmm. got this. Don't don't freak out. You've been here before." Yeah. So, and and so I think Hazel's saying, "Listen, the more we go out, people know that they've been there before. They've thought about it. They'll be okay." that is certainly in the book but i took something very different out of it okay uh there's this uh subplot that this survivor starts talking about the story that she tells herself she said she had to tell herself a create a narrative at the second um explosion at the world trade center that it couldn't have been terrorism
0: okay so and just to set this up for everybody who's listening 1993 She's at the World Trade Center, a bomb explodes. She's shaken, calm, though. She she gets through that. Mm-hmm. See how she follows procedures. She will stay alive. So in 9 11 she's on the 62nd floor when it happens. 64th floor, it yeah. happens. And now she's actually using this previous experience to walk herself through what's right. going on.
1: And to keep and others this, calm. This is happening
0: in the moment. It's not in like, the moment. Okay.
1: And she's in the moment and she's talking about how, uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of themes that, that come out of this book in terms of how groups organize in those moments, how you stay calm, how a person who has a strong normalcy bias can calm themselves, slow it all down, will increase the likelihood of their own survival, but also the other people in the area. Because, uh, if you're, if you're, um, in, in a full on spin, emotionally activated yeah. in that moment, yes. you'll be gravitated toward the calm someone else is not freaking out. What do they know? Yes. How do I need to tap into yes. that? How do I bring... God? Yeah. Yeah. She says the one thing she couldn't give up in that moment was that this was another terrorist attack, that this was intentional. So she told herself two stories. One was that the pilot of the first plane must have had a heart attack. It had to be an accident.
0: So she, she intentionally told herself that story to avoid the other story or to
1: avoid the other story that this was an intentional act to cause harm to people and designed to kill because if it was an accident, it increased her likelihood of survival. This is an unfortunate incident, but we've been here before. Right. Um, And when the second uh, plane hit, as they were making their slow excess exit from uh, the building, the information that she got about a second plane 15 minutes later or whatever it was, 15, 20 minutes later, was she had to process uh, this in the book. Talks, it says denial is powerful. Yeah, uh, She says, yeah. my God, they must have been racing each other. Yeah. Those idiots. Yeah. So still not wanting to have to face that this could be the thing that she was terrified about in 1993. I... I started thinking about what are the stories that we tell ourselves so that we can deny the most obvious chaos right in front of our, right in front. And we used to see a lot of that actually at the Sunday suppers, Mm -hmm. people who would come in and sit with us. And outwardly, it looks like life is pretty chaotic and they're living in an emergency situation. They're just surviving. And they tell you a different story. They tell you the story of, oh, I'm just about to get this new job. Everything's going to turn around. Like there's mm-hmm. there's some hope and optimism mm-hmm. there that outwardly you're like, huh? That's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. But if we take that away, I wonder if it would set them in a full spin. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder what, what are the stories we tell ourselves sometimes? What do you tell yourself when you're in those Well,
0: it, this is an interesting um Interesting topic to bring up because uh, this week we, we did have an experience that I, I'll share and we can see if there's um, some overlap and, and it should be an answer to your story. But I haven't read the book myself, and I think it's a fascinating uh, idea. So I gave it to the AI really quickly while you were talking. And just for everybody else who's listening, by the time she reached the 13th floor, the building did collapse. Yes, starts to sway. Right. Yeah. And she's trapped there for 24 hours while people are looking for her. There's only 19 people that will be found alive in all of that rubble. She's one of the 19. But she, you know, buried, dark, she's singing gospel songs to herself to help stay focused. Even, so even though she told herself these other stories, she then went into this kind of way to bring her mind to a place where she didn't panic, hyperventilate. Mm-hmm your brain is actively
1: trying to calm the right. rest of the important organs to got to keep your breathing. Got
0: to keep yeah. your heart rate down. Keep, you're go, you'll go into shock. You're going to bleed out. Yeah. The whole thing, right?
1: Yeah. Wow. And no, no help is coming. Well, it's eventually coming, but y- y- you may be there a while. And so the idea be, I, what I was shocked about this book is what if the only thing you have to survive in these moments is actually your brain. It's the internal piece. Yeah, it's going to be reacting and, and shutting down. I mean, yes, there are other things you can do, but in 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 many of these stories in the book, all they have is those moments that are ticking by, mm-hmm. and they are deeply in it with themselves. Like there's mm-hmm. a inner monologue that's happening.
0: Yeah, and this goes towards individual resilience, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, by putting yourself in stress. Situations that you survive, you become a more resilient individual. And you know, I think about my kids and how much should I help them in particular situations? Am I actually making them less resilient by stepping in and solving problems? But is it an unnecessary problem? Yeah, it's it's hard mm. to know. Yeah, it's hard to know what to do. What so Okay, let's go back to your training. How did did this show up? Are you going to change anything about how you do these trains? Because again, for the listeners, I know you you travel to yeah. all over the place to give these conversations. And the right. little trick that we do about you being <laughs> a, a security guard in a ticket booth in the parking lot isn't quite accurate.
1: No, no. But it would be fun and life would be, well, different kind of fun. I'd give me more time to think uh, yeah, instead of right. just, be, right. just do, do, do all the time.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, would I change anything about the – no, I don't think so. Um, I think the uh, the content is consistent with the principles in the book already. Uh, it's actually tr- – it focuses on, on um, what are the things you need to do to survive anywhere. So whether it happens at the shopping center, or in a movie theater, or you're walking mm-hmm. down the street, so that these kind of situations. So we try to make it principle-based and accessible with force, easy steps, run, hide, fight, tell. Wait, those run, are run, run hide, hide s- fight, or tell. So run is escape if you can. Get away. Create distance. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. you can't get away or that way is blocked, um, then hide. Mm-hmm. If your hiding place is compromised, then you have to fight. Mm-hmm. And no matter what of these, and you fight to uh, eliminate the threat until mm-hmm. the threat stops. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very heavy. And I won't take us all down that path. But um, in those moments, you can see people having to think about things mm-hmm. that they've never had to think about. Yeah. So as I'm standing at the front of the room, I can see the person who's never been in a physical altercation. Yeah. You know, the Kirk... Clerk in accounting, Mm -hmm. the person who comes in who's just sitting there going, what? This guy just told me there may come a day we're going to have to take a fire extinguisher and bash someone in the head. And I'm like, it's not going to be pleasant. And when that door is locked in your hiding place, now I do say this in every presentation, I do say it's going to feel weird. You're going to be on the inside of the room and someone's going to be on the outside. And I'm going to tell you, don't open that door. And they're going to be beating on that door saying, please let me in. And I'm going to tell you, don't open that door. Now, you're going to want to open that door. But remember, you're safe already on the inside of the room. And you don't know what's on the outside. If you and I were in the room, I guarantee you, you're not opening the door. I will help make sure you don't open the door. But if you open it, it's at your own risk. And so giving people the uh, ability to to walk themselves through that to say, what would I do? Yeah. And then I I sort of layered on with, it's one thing when you don't know and you just hear people. Mm -hmm. And it's very different when Jake's outside the door and Chris is inside the door. Mm -hmm. And now I say, buddy, buddy, open the door. It's me. Mm -hmm. And you can't. Because you've now locked it and you've barricaded it in. So we create this tension and it's we think about it. Um
0: well that's it's an awful, awful session. <laughs> Just awful.
1: It yeah. is tough. It is tough. Um, but uh, you know, in 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 thinking about this book, mm-hmm. it's a different kind of a drill. And what it warns against is actually some of the most dangerous type of the Drills that we do are the ones where we don't have to think anymore. We don't actually have to recognize danger. So when we pull the yearly fire alarm test in mm-hmm. the office mm-hmm. and everyone just keeps talking, grabs their coffee, walks out without any sense of urgency, it's that normalcy bias that punches in that actually when it rings for the first time, you you believe because we've practiced so often, this is just a drill. Mm-hmm. So we'll be fine. So maybe I won't go, oh, I look at the window. It's just a drill. I'm not going to go out in the rain. They are out of their minds if they think they're having a fire drill in the rain. Ah, this, what are they thinking?
0: Burned Absolutely. alive. Yeah. Burned, burned alive. Oh, so, oh. Uh, so <laughs> we we oh. have to. <laughs> Behind <laughs> door number three, crispy toast. So how do you. Finding that balance, right? Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. So normalcy bias, let's use a little simple one. So in my business, we have these, phishing emails that come in. And when an email comes in from the outside, they've decided to put a banner across the top that said, caution, this email originates from outside, blah, blah, blah. If you are in corporate America, a taller mm-hmm. private sector, you're going to see emails with these warnings. They are so ubiquitous, but then nobody really sees them anymore. And if it just feels like a fire drill. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It might be dangerous. Whatever. I don't even click. see it anymore, right? So, when where's, the- that, where's that link you don't want me to click? Where is it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> So I don't know. I don't notice them anymore. So they have stopped serving their purpose. And yet, because it checks a box, we include it because the insurance company says you need these on your emails and you can't explain to some actuary that it actually only works for the first two or three times. You think nobody has done research yet <laughs> in how humans actually behave These these things don't work. And yet, that's not why they're there. They're to calm somebody down who came up with this idea and put it on the list. And it's too much trouble to change it because now we know it doesn't work um how do you navigate how do you create fire alarms mm-hmm. because human beings as we've said so many times on this podcast and i say all the time we notice what's new in our environment and we quickly assess threat or benefit and then after that right. we normalize so we don't have to think about it because if i had to think about everything that i'm seeing every day for the first time what is a wall how does a door work is this the right door or not like i would burn out my brain before i even got it downstairs to pour my first cup of coffee so we normalize and we turn it into white noise. We flush. So I don't. Have yep. to
1: see. Yeah. It, you know, when we, t- we've talked about this several times before too, the, those, those steps to alert, orient, and act the alert, yep. the bell ringing still alerts, Yes. but we're really quick on the orient orientation.
0: Not yeah, we put it into a category of doesn't it's matter.
1: in that box. doesn't matter up in mm-hmm. here. It's over mm-hmm. uh, reliance on normalcy. Mm-hmm. So, um, What we try to do now is help people use other senses. What else, what else is happening? Do you smell smoke? Uh, Look around. What are, what are people doing? Are people moving? So if you can try to train people to use, to open it up more than just one thing uh, they have to process more, more deeply than just there's the bell. I know I should leave, but I'm not going to leave. Okay. there's There's the bell plus smoke. Maybe I should leave. There's a bell plus smoke, plus screaming, plus running.
0: Okay, so those are all good indicators, but I might go, yeah, whatever, whatever. It's never going to be there. What, what about this angle? And, and then I do want to get back to the story because mm-hmm. you did kick it over to me and I've, and I've left it sort of sitting between us. But in The Unthinkable, I believe, you've read it, I'm not, I believe that uh, Ripley, great name, again, for somebody who is talking about how to survive and then mitigate a disaster in space. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> In every movie, it's like uh, before you jump out of the plane, it's remember your training. You will come back alive, right? Right. Maybe not, but if you remember your training, it takes you to places like check your surroundings, watch your six. Everything becomes a oh. series of checks. I got to do this. I got to do this. Look at your corners. Check your corners. Do this. Are you paying attention to the process and the other people in the room? If if there was more of a detailed uh, process that was group oriented and and i think this is really important the why becomes very clear so i don't think i think fire alarm fire drills seem so obvious we don't bother saying and here's why this matters but if you put it together in a way where you had maybe you do smoke sound feel yeah right use the Mm -hmm, other side mm -hmm. but then added and before you leave the room, check that there's nobody else in the room. Right. bathrooms, where you have to stick your face in. Like, give them a sequence of things. I have to go through this little process. But it's other-oriented for people. And you could – I would do this, I would say. Because not everybody's going to hear it, right? Not everybody – there's a situation where somebody's going to miss it. So you have to – part of this process is not just getting yourself out because you know there's not a fire. But pay attention. To other people, would that nail it? Answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: No, you, you nailed it. That 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 theme comes up in the book quite a bit. Is okay. that in um, in the training is always to um, uh, tell people that it, because they will automatically discount that this couldn't happen to them. That, that they will yes, not yes, be able to pro- process agreeing. that this is going to happen. Yeah. But if you give them a job where they can be the hero. Mm-hmm. you become right? kind of an essential part you're essential 100 when this thing happens you'll be fine so you allow them to retain that bias yeah you'll be yeah, fine yeah and then here's how you can help other people yeah so it. when the mask falls from the sky on your flight put yours on you'll be fine and yeah. you're going to help other people yes so it's the same principle of You will be needed. Your connection to others will keep others safe. I think that is the absolute right angle. Mm. I I try to incorporate that as much as I can when I'm uh, doing workshops on this. But um,
0: I think it's just being a good basic, you know, a good human. You know, it does bring to mind. I, I think it does, too. And I think it takes advantage of some pretty ancient evolutionary systems that. You know, David Wilson, his book, we talk about it all the time now in this season, Pro Social. Um, since we have this tendency towards group safety, it's hardwired in. It it does become sort of an, an algorithm that you can ask people to pay attention to because you're right. The discounting bias and all those other things like um could never happen to me. Well, let me read you know, and s- skip over that.
1: I, when you were talking, I, I was flipping through to find you, you reminded me of this part of the book. It's um, called "The Survival Zone." I'll read a, a couple uh, uh, just a small part of it. It says, "The body's first defense is hardwired. The amygdala triggers an ancient survival dance, and it's hard <laughs> to change. But we have an outstanding the book. <laughs> No, no, but we have an outstanding second defense. We can learn from experience mm-hmm. among experts who train police, soldiers, astronauts, to your point, astronauts. Little on the nose now. Yeah, rip, about rip, it. Right, yeah, yeah. Fair it's enough. Didn't, it, you know, miss, they know. M- missed it the first time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. <laughs> nothing much matters. Uh, so then, um, then uh, references uh, two authors, Christensen and Arthwall, who wrote a book called "Deadly Force Encounters." The actual threat is not nearly as important as the level of pre- preparation. Yes. Uh, the more prepared you are, the more control in control you feel, and the less fear you will experience. Of course, it's easier to train professionals for a range of probable threats than it is to train regular people for any threats. But the larger point holds: fear is negotiable.
0: Yeah. So that it, is really interesting. Is
1: right. That? It's a it's a really
0: uh, oh, so yeah. that line. Fear is negotiable. Mm-hmm. I just want to jump on it for a second, bring it over to something else um internal family systems therapy ifs yeah and again we've referenced this and you're going to start to see if everybody's listening um this long into this episode you're going to start to see us um put more uh links to that kind of thing as, as jake and i learn it together a little bit mm-hmm. the idea posits again very quickly that we have different neural net settings based on different experiences again just really quickly if you go to your your parents end up getting divorced and your mom uh, is a bit of a more controlling type personality who feels threatened by other people's um, intelligence, basically mm-hmm. just weird things. You may find as a little girl that you kind of dumb yourself down a little bit and you you obey the rules and you keep everything clean. But when you go to your dad's place because, you know, he smokes pot a little bit, he's a hippie, whatever, do whatever you want, think the craziest thoughts. I think that's great. But at the same time, you, you find yourself not regulating too well and later you're like oh maybe i overdid it yada yada but you you take on these roles as a little kid and then later in life when you are with them you still find yourself unavoidably acting these ways and that's because there's a neural net setting in our brain that allows us to survive and thrive in that context and we learned it when we were little it worked well enough and we keep the setting so it's like um in a car setting one for one spouse sitting, two to <laughs> the other spouse, right? Right, so you right, do right, right. Yeah, When yeah, you yeah. unlock it, it sets itself up. Now, the problem is that your brain doesn't um, really understand. The, this is implicit memory, this setting. Uh, so it's not asking very many questions. It just gets a handful of signals and goes into that mode. And it doesn't, you, it's not like, oh, I remember how to act this way, which we do do that mm-hmm. sometimes. Um, this one just takes over and we become that version of ourselves and it can be triggered by other people who happen to remind us of our mother or father. And we find ourselves at work acting in a certain like supplicant dumb way with uh, mm-hmm. other stronger women who seem dominant or whatever, or cause we're always casting people in roles to work out our trauma. Like I haven't quite figured this out. This seems right. Okay. Everybody places, personas and i will play my role action right like and the little seven year olds i'm back baby i'll get it right this time and of course you don't so we have these interesting settings and they're they are myriad if you ever wonder about this part thing the line that convinced me was you ever have somebody say hey do you want to go do this and you're like yeah but no i just part of me just doesn't want to go that's what we're talking about that's an actual setting that's Mm -hmm. online so ifs breaks us all down
1: god that part of me always said <laughs> yeah. i don't want to go yeah <laughs> that part of me is powerful
0: you want to do that it's, no it's getting stronger <laughs> as you get older you, you, your rhythms become tighter and shorter and it's like stay alive just do less stay alive you're like on survivor just let's mm-hmm. see, three three blueberries and we'll make it yeah Just kind of a sad way to live. But anyway, so these but we can interact with these parts or these versions of ourselves by recognizing them and understanding them. So, when we find ourselves in a let's say a social disaster or another setting mm-hmm. where we have panic. I'll give you a scenario. Okay. okay. So I'm interested in how this book might speak to that because I love how these systems kind of overlap based on some similar evidence yeah. Coming up neuroscience and whatnot. So my team's here. We go to a, a community kitchen, 550 men off the street. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's big. And they all sign up. They go and program when they break the rules and they use, again, they're all coming over, overcoming addiction from all types of walk here in Baltimore. Um, they have to leave uh, for a certain period of time. Then they come back. Some people have uh, dropped out, come back, dropped out three or four times. They have a graduation, as you know, 12 Steps, you and I are mm-hmm. pretty familiar with it, but you get medallions um, for certain achievements your first 15 days, your first 30 days when you graduate at another level and you share these stories. So it's, it's full, It you know, over 500 men thinking about their stuff each and every day. <laughs> Who do I need to apologize to? How do I need to embrace my powerlessness? How do I admit that I don't have as much control? And I'm using substance to overcome my lack of agency and my fear. What am I really afraid of? Why am I afraid of it? Where does that take me? Like 12, 15 hours a day, they do not get a break from it. So when we bring people in from companies, it's a very safe space in that sense, right? They know each other. There's accountability. They're very clear in and out rules. It's a crazy hospitable place because we all understand that we are going to share in the benefits of doing this right, but there are there are sanctions when we break the rules, and we're going to be held accountable for that. So I find it to be an incredibly safe space, but even more than that, like it's the brilliance of intention. It's just the vibe, the energy there, Jake, is just amazing, mm-hmm. right? Because there's very few other places where you can get that many people thinking about the work that mm-hmm. intentionally. So we took my team, realize we're a team there. There's only about uh, a dozen of us. And we all went into character. We do this thing where we do this immersive learning. And we give them a piece of paper for one of the stages in the journey of the volunteer. So we're not asking people to act out a stereotype. We're asking them to remember what it was like to be at this place in your learning matrix. So some people Mm -hmm. were unconsciously incompetent. Here's what that looks like. You may be very aware of what's going on here but we want you to act as though you are unconsciously competent can you remember what that's like so you will remember on behalf of other people so when you're organizing an event you have that empathy for where they might be coming in and then there's the consciously incompetent and then there's the consciously competent and then nobody gets to be unconsciously competent because that's you know too good so there are these mm-hmm. kind of three stages in the journey of volunteer that we unpack everybody takes the role and we go in and we do the volunteering and we actually do do volunteering we have the brief beforehand. We have the debrief afterwards. Incredibly important to generate cognitive dissonance in order for the brain to learn something new. Because that's when the acetylcholine kicks in. And um, a person that I'm enjoying explaining internal family systems th- uh, therapy actually talks about these moments of cognitive dissonance being the moment to bring in a new learning. Right. A new A new result. To what you thought you knew. So I have learned all the time that when I see a disaster movie, when as soon uh, something bad happens, somebody's out to get me and I will die every single time. So she has the experience, the World Trade Center, and she followed procedures and she didn't die. And then she had to reconcile that with maybe an, an unconscious bias of this is terrible, panic, whatnot. And now she's got new information. She's mm-hmm. She had to stitch that together. Now she'll think differently. Obviously, that played out in 9-11, right? Right. And she was fortunate enough to tell the story obviously Mm -hmm. a number of other hundreds of thousands of other people could have done the same thing but they didn't survive right um but for us when we went there we we all were with we were in a very safe space nothing happened it was so polite everybody's incredibly friendly and in character we're having this really interesting experience and then we debriefed what did you see what you know was it what you expected we kind of process that kind of dissonance we try to learn those new stories but then afterwards we realized as we broke the scene and we started to talk about it okay so what was that like for you to be as though you were unconsciously incompetent we kind of talked about that a little bit but then we started to veer into some personal stories that were triggered because of people's own experience so when they came they brought baggage or they brought experience, unprocessed thinking, which we all have, into a place that triggered them to come to the forefront. And and I didn't know it at the time, but they were going into this mode of fight flight. Like mm-hmm. they were they were at some level anxious. And afterwards, once they got through it, they felt it more and more. Does that, I think you know what I'm talking about. Like when people come through, yeah. to- a physically safe space. Other people are there. They will have an amazing experience. And yet, this person, because of what they're working through, comes into this space, even though it's safe and feels incredibly unsafe. How do you do that? How do you help people to understand you you are safe? What mm. you're feeling is inside of you. It's your internal world of unprocessed things. But I don't want to, I don't want to say it, it's not this, it's that. I because no, it feels fun. real.
1: I have conversations like this all the time. Okay. Uh, and w- one of the things I do is I test out some other words for them to try on and see how they feel. Okay. So um, when someone articulates being unsafe, but the circumstances outwardly mm. Mm. don't track, like I don't have any evidence, but I get that it's upsetting. Mm-hmm. I say Upsetting. How about that? There's an emotional reaction Mm. to it. Okay. It's upsetting. Let's, can we pull on that for a minute? Because I think there's some things that you might help teach me that Mm -hmm. we need to know and attend to. Mm -hmm. Um, When you use the word upset, you could be upset. You didn't know what to do. Upset that uh, no one came fast enough. Upset that no one else is seeing what you're seeing. But you get to be in your feels and legitimize it by just giving it a different word. Because if we say unsafe, it became the word and the mechanism to
0: push it over to someone. That word is then yeah. taken out by the group to affirm on one level, almost the group member and to say, yeah, you belong. Oh, I hear that. I hear what you're yeah. saying. And we repeat it and then it almost becomes truer. Right.
1: right. And so we can we can not pick up unsafe, but we can attend to the fact that I can see this has been really activated, you're really angry or yeah. upset, you're really whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me more about that. Or the other word we sometimes try on is unsettling. So unsettling is when I'm talking to someone, usually after an event, and it's like a couple days later, maybe a week later, and they come in and I'm still really bothered by this. I can't Mm. turn it off. Mm. It still plays in my mind. Mm. Uh, It's it's occupying all of my thoughts. Mm. Every conversation I have with my partner, I'm telling them about that thing that happened at work. It's stuck. It's on a reel. How do we get you unstuck? so that we can actually think about it, because it's that that's making you feel unsafe. So when we sometimes give some other things and say, well, this is what we would actually define as unsafe. So I usually will end saying a conversation, if I were looking from the outside, looking in, um, what I would describe unsafe to be, these are the conditions where you would have to call police right away. So when someone's being stalked, I think someone's following me, but I don't know what to do. But I I have all of these indicators. It's really upsetting. I usually will end by saying, Can I just, dis- can I, will you go with me while I describe what I would be worried about? So let me fill in the gaps about what I would call unsafe. So I start to sh- to Did move you, so it slowly.
0: I do, do this have- all the time, all the time.
1: Yeah. I have this conversation 25 times a week. So it's, you, it's the same. So you
0: actually have to then go somewhere with somebody and then just talk about the space.
1: Sometimes I'm there. So I will say, Well, why don't I come to your, your office? come to your apartment, come to your, like, let's talk through what you're, what, what you're worried about. Oh, it's, you know, you're on the third floor. Can I give you a different perspective? I might be Mm -hmm. more worried if you're Mm -hmm. on the ground floor, Mm -hmm. but you're not. I've noticed that you have cameras in the building. I've noticed that you have this. I didn't even know for, look for that. So you can build reassurance back in or appropriately build those. Here's where you should be looking. You may have missed the other thing that's unsafe
0: yeah like, and I, i'll jump in for a minute because i yeah. think you get a little bit more to say here because um in the process we talk about creating a disorienting dilemma again the podcast mm-hmm. that you are listening to that you like share and subscribe like, and share, is about <laughs> the importance of paying attention to disorienting dilemmas when your experience does not line up with what you right. expected that triggers this neuroplasticity so we can actually think differently And then we get to a point where we try to resolve it. But after that, we test out a new hypothesis. So when the evidence does not fit the experience, this is when new tagging, according to internal Mm family therapy, can happen. But the discourse that you're talking about, just quietly walking through and pointing things out and actually informing now the new way of thinking is is an incredibly important step as opposed to... Oh yeah, it was different. It's you're fine. It's a different. Let me give you three things. I'll see you mm-hmm. next time. That's not enough for human beings to actually set up a new net setting to think about things differently. Yeah, we we'll often
1: say, "Listen, we're this is great. We can do this. We can have this conversation. This is a great start." But the be, this is best experience three D. So w- yeah. when can we show up? Yeah. When can we hang out? Yeah. It also is when can I bring someone else? So if I can mm-hmm. also introduce you to other people, build your network, There's make other sort of other of- connections, yeah, that's good. Um, y- y- Your 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 web of support and access to resources increases. So you're building yeah. capacity, not just giving you three tips to survive this this event. Uh, can I tell you another really really quick piece?
0: I think so because it's. Okay, I think so. so. We can do uh, we want. Why not? <laughs>
1: well it might get edited back we'll see okay. um oh wow
0: it's one of those okay let's no no wait. no I,
1: I, it's the time that i i got caught um on uh, talking on a body-worn camera but i think it tracks in this so All right. yeah. uh we wear these body-worn cameras it sits right here in the middle of my chest right under my chin yep night it has a uh, sort of great night vision it has uh A great audio. It's meant to be, going back to your earlier comment, an accountability device. Mm -hmm. Sure. Got Mm -hmm. it. And I think uh, lots, and we were early adopters. We've had them for years on all of our, all of our team. I wear them too when I go out. And um, there's, there's a lot of folks who are resistant to it. A lot of services, uh, public safety services that are resistant, um, but has been nothing but good in, in, uh, in my experience uh, and through, through a, our implementation, but I was reviewing some footage and every once in a while it catches a comment that is not meant to be heard. And wait, I, wait. This podcast, I got caught. Are you sure? Yeah. yeah. I got caught.
0: Okay. All right. Let's see. Um,
1: What's your truth? I was, I was talking to myself. All right. I didn't even know. I didn't notice it until I was watching it on playback. So uh, the scenario is uh, there's a number of us, um, sent out to find a person who had caused an incident for significant incident on a campus and the campus is massive. And so it requires that the whole team is doing a, a search building by building of this. And it's exhausting to do a building search because it's like hide and go seek on steroids. And you're trying to co- find this person. You have to do it in a timely way and you have to see everything. And, okay. And everyone has to be able to rely on the fact that you did your job. Right. Because if I say building B is clear, building B isn't clear. Yes. we crossed that off. Yes. So yep. we're all wasting it. So that makes sense. So I know that I'm nervous. Um, in that moment, I felt a bit nervous because like any game of hide and go seek, there's excitement of finding. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But unlike hide and go seek, it's not a game. So if you find them, you've got them, and so you're still by yourself. So oh. you still you still have to, you know, figure out: Do I really want to find this person? Right, right. <laughs> so you're moving through in a systematic way. You're covering up the building, and I can hear myself calming myself down.
0: This is afterwards when you're watching the. Footage. I'm
1: watching the body camera back, and I was like, "Oh, I didn't think." I said those outside, but I must have been whispering to myself. And I'm going, just breathe, just breathe, slow down, slow down, check that, check that clearly. And I could hear myself on this camera. There's no one else around as I'm going through the building, checking, trying to make sure that I'm thorough. Mm -hmm. And I have to this this procedural self-talk where I'm going through, going, just check it, just stay calm. But I'm there's moments where I can feel myself. Ramping up, and it's like just breathe, slow your breathing, relax, keep going, keep checking, keep checking, and it was fascinating because it was the first time I heard my own voice outside of my head. But I knew exactly, oh, I must whisper that stuff to that stuff to myself when I when I really need to hear it. That's amazing. Oh, we 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 found them. Just Did to you? let let it off the hook. We found them. Yeah, it's fine. Everything's fine. But in those moments, was it real? No. Was it real? What?
0: It was just an exercise, right?
1: No, this was real, but we found the guy. So that, that, that part's over, but it was real life. So walking through, taking this through, I'm trying to calm myself to be like, just breathe. We have to check the space. I can hear my other colleagues calling in other buildings. So we're, we're working our way through, um, through the campus this building's clear this building's clear this building's clear this area's clear and i'm just trying to clear my area and i know what i'm doing so if i watch back the video i can see what i'm doing i can see but i'm talking to myself Mm -hmm. just check it fascinating
0: to me uh, self regulation is a really fascinating thing and mm -hmm. then coming back to internal family systems it is interesting because um there is a way to kind of prepare for these situations ahead of time if you are thoughtful about it. And coming back to, you know, I don't know where this leaves me for uh, bringing groups in sort of, we can tell them we're coming to a men's mission, let's say. Mm-hmm. We can give you a heads up and we can give you some training and things to talk to. But we may have to give people a way for them to talk to their own parts, just like you did, which is if you feel like there are feelings coming up and it's unexpected, first of all, things should know as it's normal. It's okay. This is an intentional part of the process is not only learning how to interact with the community, but learning some pretty important things about who you are. So you could withdraw if you want. Um, you could keep going and then know that we'll talk it through afterwards. You could like, I mean, maybe that's the part we need to add to it. I I'm so used to it that, and so used to processing things that come through it that I feel like, don't worry, just follow the process. It's a completely safe space. I know where all the cameras are. I I've been in other spaces. This is incredibly safe. But other people don't have those reference points and other right. people don't have that internal voice to checklist. Other people don't know how many things they're seeing are normal and what's not normal. How would you set up? Because you understand this completely. How would you set people up maybe?
1: Well, I, I mean, I, I think the value is uh, in that reassurance based. Uh, there's a relational quality. Mm-hmm. So making as you're doing the brief and the debrief. I actually don't have to have those experiences if the person I trust has them and if they're willing to sort of vouch for this. So even though I've never been here and I'm feeling a bit anxious, I can look to you. And if you are given the opportunity to actually say the thing out loud, I don't have to figure it out. You're going to tell me I've been here. It's safe. You may be nervous. So you may be thinking and feeling this way. Totally understood. I was here then I don't have to go through it because you've already laid a bit of a roadmap in that way. You're the guide. You're bringing me along. You're, you're, you're anticipating what I might be feeling because you were there before. And I don't always have to go through it
0: myself. Okay. So I can see that in this particular case, so I can see that being a good strategy and that makes sense to me. But in this particular case, I think I was so close to the folks that I was with that they said, yeah, but you have been here before and I haven't, and you haven't been through what I'm dealing with. Nobody said that, but Mm -hmm. Would it ever invalidate people to say, trust me uh, or.
1: Yeah, because that's not easy. Uh, yeah. you, you just jump off the roof and flap your arms like you might as well ask them to do the impossible. Yeah. So if if trust is the uh, only thing I have. Um, so, so it's asking people, what do you need? What would help
0: right now? Yeah.
1: And I think I think they they will tell you. OK
0: and and obviously there's some aspect of this what, what you, would have
1: helped what would have made a difference for you so asking different questions at the end and in the debrief that would call them to sure um, sense make together
0: yeah Not i think just, that's the discussion part that we talked about that you did later which is let's yeah. walk through this let's unpack this that level of discomfort or unfamiliarity is the point of transformative space because when acetylcholine is triggered and you do start to grow new neural pathways it is incredibly challenging to your identity it Mm -hmm. is going to go to places of if if you have uh, some unresolved hurt in the background implicit memory is timeless so you'll go right back to where you were when you had it the first time right yeah i think that's it this has been fascinating yeah, this is great. Thanks for sharing uh, more about the book. Let's uh, put some of the stuff in the show notes and uh, we'll keep learning together.
1: Sounds great. All All right. Talk next time. Thanks, Jake. See you, buddy.